guest today is Ilinka. Ilinka currently works as an advisor to the Citizens Advice Bureau, providing much needed legal advice to vulnerable groups of people free of charge. She's fiercely independent, yet she's equally nurturing. Her superpower is that she's incredibly self-aware. She has an ability to deconstruct her emotions and her actions in relation to all of the challenges she's endured. She's a multi-passionate kickboxing feminist that rates her level of happiness at an 8 out of 10. And in this interview, we cover her childhood in Romania, challenges of settling in London, the influence of strong women in her life, primarily her mother and her grandmother, issues of co-dependence in romantic relationships, finding her independence again in Singapore, feminism, and much more. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed recording it. And without much further ado, here's Ilinka. Three, two, one, and we're live with Ilinka. Uh, we're sitting in... God knows where we're sitting in, actually. We're sitting in Piccadilly Circus, picture house, top floor. It was raining outside. Elinka, smart as usual, managed to find a little little place for us to maneuver. I always start these podcasts by asking people where they're from. Mm-hmm. And Elinka, you're from Romania. He told me some really interesting stories about your first time coming to the UK. So why don't you just tell me a bit about what it was like growing up in Romania? and your first time coming to the UK, what that was like, the build-up to it. All right, so, um, I, yep, I was uh, born in Romania. I lived there until I was, well, I, I say 12, but I think 12 was my first experience of going abroad. So if I was to say I, I've lived in Romania, it would be until I was 15. Um, between 12 and 15, I was back and forth a lot. Um, um, but yeah, when I was about nine, I think my mom starting, she's a nurse, right? So she worked as a nurse in Romania and it got to a point where she was like, oh, this ain't kind of it. <laughs> this two job thing is just not working financially. Okay. We were struggling. Um, and I mean, we were really struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, she thought to herself, I need to move abroad. And it was at a time when a lot of people were leaving. Yeah. Um, it was just like, like the first wave of, um, I guess, Eastern European immigrants in general. Um, and we're back after schoolboy era. Go on. All right. So um, the first wave of Eastern European immigrants. Right. Um, and she, I remember she sat me down and she said, look, I'm at this point. She wasn't around a lot. Um, so a lot of the time I was spending with my grandma and even with her, uh, she had an alcohol making business actually. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, which is ironic given the fact that my dad's an alcoholic. So, um, I don't know if I should say is or was because I'm not sure whether he still is at this point. Let's say was. So was, let's, let's just right. say was, um, and, um, she sat me down, my mom sat me down and she was like, look, we're struggling financially. Um, we had just managed to pay off. Uh, so we had an apartment, right? My mom and my dad bought an apartment right. with the help of my family, my mom's family and his family. Where was this in Romania? Yeah, this was all in Romania. Okay. So, um, and what happened um, because of my dad's addiction, mm-hmm. um, he had essentially used the apartment as a guarantee for a bank loan. Okay. So, and, the, and then the, the apartment got repossessed by the bank. Mm. So we had to pay 
the whole thing all over again and we had just finished it and my mom was saying i can't financially we can't make it mm. um and she was saying oh well, you know i think i'm going to start looking into this whole going abroad thing and she introduced it i think when i was around nine um and initially i think because i was always bored i grew up in a very small town where everyone knew everyone and it was like every move I made, people knew where I was going. They knew where I was going with. Yeah. It, it was just, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm over it. I'm just over it. And the minute she said, I was like, yeah, sure, <laughs> let's, let's go. Like, let's can, go. can we move tomorrow, please? Did she mention it was London? No, no. Okay. So um, she had a friend, she had a very close friend who had moved to Italy. Mm. And she was working as a nurse there. And she was really pushing for it. Um, she was like, oh yeah, there's really a market out here. They're looking for nurse, n- nurses. And it was at that point, this whole idea that, am I touching you on the That's table? Fine. I am. It was like, oh, um, th- I think they were looking for nurses in particular. So there were Eastern European nurses that were working very hard and there was a lack of that in other European countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least that was the vibe that we were getting back home. Um, so uh, she said, um, I'm really, you know, I'm, I've been talking to this friend of ours. I was very close with her daughter. There was like a group of four of us that had been childhood friends. Nice. Um, and I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, go for it. And she straight away had me learning Italian. Wow. Yeah. Um, I think in about a year that fell through um, completely. She sent over her details, contract, passport, everything, and then just didn't hear back. It was like complete silence. I mean, my mom had sent everything, her whole life. And I mean, IDs, everything, diplomas, certificates, yeah. all you can think of. And it just was this for didn't. Switzerland? This was for Italy. Italy. Yeah. And then Switzerland was the, the second one. And it's also through a friend um, who had a business with a guy who was traveling um, back and forth between Switzerland and Romania. And he was like, you're a nurse they're looking for nurses out there we could really do it go learn french go learn german um and it was just very much like um the very first situation it just fell through um so the third the third option i think when i turned about 11 she'd started giving up on it and we got a phone call from my well i don't even know if it was a phone call i think it was more of a conversation but then the phone call confirmed it from my uncle um and it's technically my mum's cousin's husband, so he's not even really an uncle. But in terms of our relationship, he's yeah. more like a dad, really. Okay. Um, and he was like, yep, London. London it is. And it was just, I remember at that point, I thought to myself, this is not going to happen. It's just going to be like the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always say I owe it to him. He is the reason I am here today. Because if it hadn't been, and he pushed, I think my mum was reluctant at one point when it became real yeah. she sort of thought oh no 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 i i can't what, i can't go through with it your, what made uh, your uncle suggest london <clears throat> um he knew um a, a person who was um helping romanian nurses come over here and work mm. um so it wasn't they hadn't picked london for a p- particular reason it was just the nature of the contract and everything they were working sending it was italy spain 
um, London, yeah, UK in general. Um, those were, the, I think, the three main countries. Um, but Italy and Spain were different areas that they were hiring for, and London it was specifically nurses. So he was like, "You're you're perfect for it. What are you waiting for? You've been wanting to do this for so long." Wow. Um, so yeah, when I was I, just before I turned eleven, uh, I remember I knew something was going wrong because they bought me a dog, and I was like, "I've been asking for a dog for the longest time, <laughs> and getting a hamster was an issue." <laughs> uh, so it was like, "Okay, I'm getting a dog. Like, what what's happening? What's going on?" Right. Um, and then one summer uh, she sent me so th this uncle of mine lives in Bucharest mm -hmm. and I'd spend the entire summer with them and I mean it was like luxurious they live in like this big villa so it was completely different from where I was brought up right. um, and I came home and I just kept waiting it's, I have this thing about gut feelings mm -hmm. so my gut is always like something's about to happen something's about to happen uh, and she sat me down and she was like look um, it's, it's gone through. I'm leaving in a couple of weeks. And I was like, bitch, what? <laughs> what wow. do you mean? Like, you're leaving in a couple of weeks. She's leaving you and she's going yes, thing. alone. Oh, she, to London. To London. By herself, wow. knowing absolutely no one. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that's how it happened. Um, and the question was me living in Romania. Yeah. So um, she left. Um, I stayed in Romania. I didn't see her for a year. Yeah. Uh, she came here. It's only until later that she told me she actually wanted to come back straight away. Um, she was like, I, I, I can't do it. I just can't do it. She was living in awful conditions. I think she was sharing like with f like five, six people in a room. And it was um, men and women. And it was just, she was like, well, some of them were getting drunk. Some of them were like drug users. And it was like she felt it fearful all the time. Um, and after a year she came back and she was like right let's take you on holiday let's see if you like it wow. and that's where it all started okay we have to discuss one particular thing apologies for the background noise um tell me about the romanian version of david attenborough oh. and 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 because i'm gonna google this guy and there's well no it does, we will find the name and we'll include it in the show notes for it. Right? Any Romanians DM me. Um, <laughs> no, no. Okay. Um, but we will say, you know, tell me. So this guy, you were t w yeah. one, one interesting thing. So you said there's a Romanian version of David Attenborough, mm -hmm. except in instead of focusing on animals, he focuses on cities. Mm -hmm. One of the cities you watched was about London. Mm. And uniquely, you didn't have this kind of childlike wonder because he portrayed the good and the bad. Yeah. So tell me about the connection from... You know, watching that, mm. how you felt, and then your first day here. here. Right, so there's David Attenborough of Romania. Um, like you said, he used to do these documentaries um, on uh, various cities, capitals mainly, around yeah. the world. Um, and one day, I think I was about nine, um, m my grandma used to love watching these things. So um, she was sitting in the living room and uh, she was watching a TV and I was in my living room, in my room. And all I heard was, Ilinka! And I was like, I ran literally like, when there's a thing, see my name, when I say it to people in UK, I say my name is Ilinka, right? Mm -hmm. 
there's a Romanian way of pronouncing it, I'll which is Ilinka, like Ilinka. And then when you hear your name <laughs> pronounced oh. in Romanian, it's like, I'm sure it's the same with you. Like your, yeah. your parents have that tone, right? Definitely, that yeah, that will just, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I legged it and I was like, oh no, this is not good. Sure. Um, and she was watching and she was like, oh look, it's a documentary about London. Mm. And I remember, I think the first thing I saw was the Big Ben and then they showed the London Eye. Um, and then they moved into the outskirts of London. Mm. And I sat the entire documentary in silence looking at the TV. I think I smiled throughout like the whole thing. Yeah. And I was just like, yep, one day I'm going to live there. I'm moving to London one day. And I said it to my grandma. I'm pretty sure I said it. And she looked at me in disbelief like, child, Come you on. crazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> just don't forget where you are. Yeah. yeah. Like it's not. And, and I, I just knew it. It was just... I know it sounds cliche, but it's just one of those things that you just know. And I think it's because when you want something bad enough, you'll do whatever it takes to um, uh, to make it happen. And I think at the time, it was more of a... The way I had it happen in my head was I'll study. I'll finish my studies in Romania, do university or whatever it is. And at some point, I'll go to London to, to study work. Yeah, or work yeah. so I never saw it happen in my early teens or as a child I always thought it would happen late teens early 20s and then the first day I got here um, so it was with my mum and I remember as I said to you we got off at the airport and I was whispering in Romanian because I wanted to like make a commentary about everything and so I was like oh look she's dressed like this or I remember seeing women in like high heels and like skirts and suits and stuff and I was just fascinated wow. and I was like oh mom look look and my mom was just blasting Romanian like no one can understand you <laughs> you know you can yes. speak up but like it's, it's not a problem um, and I remember vividly the walk at Heathrow. Yep, I remember walking through the terminal. And I mean, it's hard to make you picture it, but I grew up in a very small town. So it was, um, I don't think there was a street or part of the town that I did not know. Wow. It, it was, yeah, so it was like every corner, I could tell you the potholes. <laughs> I could tell you it's a very, very small town. So just seeing everything it's it's like it's, everything is just on a large scale it was incredible um and the entire car journey home i was silent i was just looking around and i think all that was going through my head was wow wow just constantly wow yeah and it wasn't even like people think um it was hi just letting you guys know we're going to be closing up here in the next half now. That's cool. Cool. No yeah. Don't worry, keep going. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, it's not like I was seeing some extraordinary thing or part of London. It was yeah. just the small things, seeing corner shops, seeing so many people <laughs> at once, um, seeing the diversity. So the documentary had shown that. I had seen all of that and I had expected it. But actually experiencing it, I think it was the first time in my life I felt like I belonged. Genuinely, wow. I was, I was, I remember getting home, getting out of the car, going into the house, and I told my mom, I don't want to go back. This, okay, I'm gonna, I usually wouldn't interrupt at this point, but that statement is so interesting because you're emigrating from a, a small town. Mm in Romania where you grew up, where everyone knows everyone, 
where you feel a sense of familiarity, where you speak the language fluently, and now you're moving to a, a new country, w which is very diverse, and diversity does bring communities together, but I find it fascinating. What made you feel you belonged <laughs> more in this new foreign environment than you did back home when wh where it was all you knew? I think I've always said it's the rebel in me. So um, I think back home I felt trapped. So um, the idea of a small town, it just felt, because I was always quite independent, I didn't, I didn't like the idea of everyone knowing what I'm doing. Um, I, th that sense of community I loved, but at the same time I, it felt like an invasion of privacy. Yeah. So the, the first time I, th I, I saw London, I thought, no one knows me here no one i could walk down the road and that was my first impression of it i could walk down the road wearing pajamas and no one would bat an eyelid and it was just that level of i could be myself and no one would judge no one would care no one would necessarily have an opinion about it um i think that's why i felt like this is the place for me um, of course, later on, I thought it, th that makes you, it can make you feel isolated and lonely. And yeah. you do at times think to yourself, am I really going to fit in? Um, but no, I think on, on a major level, it was just always like it's, it's a big place and I'm a small person in this big place. And that gave me that sense of security. Some people get lost in it and some people are fearful of it. I thought, no, this is this is OK, because it was the only way I could feel comfortable being myself. Um, I just it's weird because in a sense you're surrounded by crowds of people at all times watching you yet you're invisible yeah so back home it was like I didn't have people all around me yet it felt like it's someone was always watching me wow. like someone always knew what I was doing or and I think that's because I at that point at least I'd spent a lot more time in Romania than I'd spent here so it was obviously the friends, the family, the, the implications of having all of that back home. Whereas here, it wasn't, it was my mom, her friends, and that was it. There's no other family here. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and it was just nice to have that separation from everything else. At this point, we're going to take a quick break. We're back. We're continuing the Romania to London chapter. Mm -hmm. So you're telling me about moving to London it's you and your mum. Mm -hmm. You've emigrated to a new city. Tell me what the first year of living in the UK was like. Where did you go to school? What was your level of English like? How did you make friends? Mm -hmm. Where did you live? All of that good stuff. Okay, so, um, well, actually, the first time I came here, I was 12, right? But okay. I went back to Romania mm. yeah so um, my my first instinct like I said was I want to stay um, and my mom had this stubborn idea that I have to finish the equivalent of GCSEs mm -hmm. here back home she was like no nope, you won't make it without that here um, turns out it didn't mean shit here so um, I went back um, I stayed here for the whole summer when I was 12 I went back um, I think that was the most difficult part of my teenage years mm. because it was like I've seen this whole world that's out there now and you expect me to just go back to my small town 
and my little community and just feel like, yep, I'm happy and I'm supposed to get on with my life. Um, but yeah, I did it. And then when I was 13, I just kept, I kept coming back and forth, going back. Yeah. Um, and then when I, when I finished my GCSEs there um, at 15, I was like, right, I've done it. Mm. Can I move over now? Mm. Uh, and she was like, yep, let's do it. It's fine. Let's go for it. Um, and then I moved here. Um, and I think at the time, I don't remember exactly, but I think it was a matter of it's only when I got here that she actually went to the council and signed me up and said, yeah, my child's here. She needs to go to school. Mm. And it was, we didn't hear until September. So I think it was right when the school year was starting. We still hadn't heard anything. They take, they took me, I remember they took me to do these tests and it was like some stupid, like... <laughs> year seven math and i was thinking oh, what the hell i was just there like are you are you being for real like yeah. like are you, do you think i'm dumb yeah um and after that we got a call from khs um and i lived yeah so um kingsbury high school yeah um we lived in sudbury uh, oh, okay. yeah um which is near wembley for those that don't know yeah um and it was my mom felt like it was, it was a bit of a trek to go all the way to Kingsbury. Yeah. Um, so she was like, no, this is not what I had in mind for her. Um, and I remember at the time we were actually going from school to school. So we'd gone to Kingsbury, we'd gone to Claremont. No way. Uh, yeah. Um, there's a, oh, what's the name of that school? There's a girls, all girls school. Oh, John Kelly Girls. No, there's another one. Mm. Um, in Harrow, I think. It'll come to it'll me. Come, okay, it'll come yeah, to so, you. Yeah, so she went, we went there um, and we had a very close family friend who said, Ooh. if you want her to become a bitch, send her to an old girl's school. <laughs> and my mom was like, I'm good, I'm all right. <laughs> I'll, I'll send her to, to, to a normal school. school. Yeah. Um, that's exactly how she referred to it, a normal school. Ooh. I was like, mom, it's just a mixed school. Yeah. Um, and and then we got the call from Kingsbury. I think she was starting to panic. I was just like, "Look, I'm I'm happy. I'm here." Yeah. Um. At the point, at that point, we were so she, my mom was working as a carer, okay, and cleaning at the same time. Awesome. So we used to do this. Um, we used to do these uh cleaning jobs together, and I actually did that throughout the summers when I was here. Um, just cleaning houses before they were rented out. So at that point, before I went to school, uh, we were doing these these jobs, and I was like, oh, "I'm making money. Like, <laughs> why are you worrying about me going to school?" It was yeah. such a naive way of thinking. Um, and we, yeah, we got the call from Kingsbury. Um, I remember I came in, and I think it was me, and I don't know if you remember Opeka. I remember Opeka very well. Yeah, very talented drawer. Yes, Shout absolutely. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and her sister. Uh, and it was the three of us um, sat in a room in Kingsbury doing, I think it was sat at the time, I don't remember. Okay. They gave us a test. And I remember thinking to myself, I mean, give me some maths problems yeah. and I'll, I'll sort them out. But <laughs> this though, it was, and it was always the thing, like I was very, I knew I was good at um, literature. Interesting. But it was Romanian literature, right? Mm. So from 12 up until 15, I started learning English when I was really young. I think I was about four years old. Okay. Yeah. Um, but from 12 till 15, I did it intensely. So it was back to back almost every single day. I would go to school, learn in Romanian. Then after school, I would go and learn everything I'd learned in Romanian in English. Mm. So um, 
but it would it was still it, it's completely different it's very i think it's it, it's so hard to understand unless you've made that shift from yeah. learning in one language to learning in a, in a completely different one it's one thing when you can speak it understand it yeah. read it to actually have to study in that language so true um because at that point it's very much a translation process so i'm reading something in english but I'm in my head i'm translating it in romanian so mm. i'm still i I was still thinking in Romanian. Mm. Um, like people always ask me now, do you dream in English? I'm like, yes. Finally, I think, yeah, yeah <laughs> I think in English. I dream in English. I find it harder to translate from English to Romanian now mm. rather than the other way Because around. English is yeah, dominant yeah, language. yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, so, and I, I remember doing that test, and I think it was some Shakespeare analyzing some Shakespeare piece, and I was thinking fucking this up and i'm fucking it up royally mm. um and i didn't they didn't quite explain what was the point of it okay. so it wasn't is this an admission test is this testing the level of my abilities it was right. just sort of like here's a piece of paper do this test you've got this amount of time get it done um and then um uh, yeah we got a call that i got in and nice. the first day i think i woke up super early if i woke up at something like 5:30 a.m because i couldn't sleep i mean yeah. <laughs> it's my first day at school in a completely different country and you were 15 yeah i was so 15 at okay. the time yeah okay interesting so um um and i i remember i mean i remember the whole thing getting my uniform um and it all is this is the thing that i still find strange i'd had a uniform in romania mm. but the whole process of doing it here felt like i had never done it before mm. it was it was it was extremely weird i was like i remember going shopping with my mom and i was like mom i've had a uniform but it feels like somehow we've never done this before yeah um and i don't know whether it was because we had that distance between us right so i'd mm. gone what three four years without my mum there on a daily basis mm. to now having her Around. and that's a completely whole different thing yeah um and then i i remember i didn't have my um oyster yet okay <laughs> so i remember standing at the bus stop and i used to say my mom said to me you know you get free travel don't worry you won't have to pay just get on the bus and you'll be fine mm. and i i was panicking i was literally like shitting myself and i remember i saw this group of girls get in before me in their uniforms they didn't tap the oyster so i was like oh shit you can just get on the bus and mm. no one would care so i remember i was like you know what just fake it till you make it right. <laughs> literally that was literally the only thing that was going to my so head so you're getting on the bus without paying no 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 i didn't have to pay mo i was oh, in high school true true but in my head i was like what if i get stopped what do i say what do i and i'm of like of course because when you're time, less than 16 yeah, yeah. Yes, at the time remember pe like we would just get on the bus without actually tapping Good the old oyster days of the labor government yeah. <laughs> <laughs> basically yeah um so um i just i looked at the bus driver and the bus driver looked at me and i just got on the bus and the entire bus I, it was the 92 to wembley the entire bus journey i was shitting it i was like fuck they're gonna find out they're gonna find out they're gonna take me out now that i think back i'm like oh the worries you had back then <laughs> who broke it to you how did you eventually find out hey you don't actually have to pay i knew my mom had told me but for some reason i just couldn't believe it I, oh, in my head okay. i was just like 
but surely I must have something to prove. Did anyone confirm it to you, though? Uh, anyone else? Yeah, I think we'd gotten the application from the post office to actually get the oh, oyster. Wow, right. So I knew, but I'd only been here on holiday, right? So mm. when you're here on holiday, you, you pay. Course, yeah, you so question everything. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, nah, this is too, too good to be true. Um, and I got off at the stop before the stop that I was actually supposed to get off at in Wembley Central and it was pouring down and all I was wearing was shoes and the blazer and I, would, I, I just remember it just drained me mm. um, and um, I think I got the 79 from Wembley Central yep and I got off and I, I still remember the walk down Princess Avenue like mm. I remember it vividly and it was something like 7.30 a.m. Wow. And I was walking. Did we start at what eight forty or something? We started at eight. Well, yeah, the bell would ring at eight eight forty, but classes were starting nine. Nine. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember walking in, and Mrs. Day was like, or Miss Day, I think she was yeah, Miss. Miss she was like, "What are you doing here so early?" And I was thinking to myself, "Isn't that a good thing?" I mean, and yeah. she was like, "But you're really early." And the only thing I could think was, "It's my first." day yeah <laughs> like let me get used to the building okay. um and it was i think they took me to the common room to meet everyone oh, that's nice. and i remember people asking me what's your name and then i would say my name <laughs> and they'll be like what's your nickname <laughs> and i'll be like well you see i don't really have one so you're just gonna have to get used to saying elinka i guess but elinka's not that difficult that's what i thought yeah but apparently it was Okay. I think it was just unusual. People were just trying to... Yeah, and uh, yeah. the other thing I found strange, well, not strange, but funny in a sense at the time, was that people would ask me, uh, where are you from? And I'd mm. be like, oh, Romania. And they'll be like, oh, is that near Russia? And I'll be like, well, <laughs> do they teach you? Like, that was my only impression. Oh I was like, God. you know geography, yeah? You get taught that in, in school, right? Jeez. Like. And it was just there. Yeah. <laughs> and I think people were expecting me to be the, uh, I think it, throughout year 10, this mm. was the impression I got uh, from a majority of people at least, that mm. they expected me to be either Polish or mm. Russian. Um, and the minute I said Romania, I'd be like, but where is that where though? Is that, yeah. um, and I'd be like, look, it's, it's close to Russia. Mm. But it's not Russia. Yeah. Also, Eastern Europe isn't Russia. Mm. Okay, the, there are small other countries that are completely insignificant. But um, yeah, and then um, my first class was science, mm -hmm. and I don't remember the teacher's name. The really tall, skinny white woman that Miss was Hollingsworth. yes, yeah. That woman changed my life. She gave me a level of confidence that I will never. Really? Yeah, she was just very, very touchy. matter of fact and yeah, very touchy. Yeah, mm. but very matter of fact about things. So she was like, "This is a new student. Don't make her feel weird." It was just very much out in the open with things, right? Wow, so it didn't God. feel uncomfortable. It didn't. She like pushed you over the yeah, edge. Literally. Yeah, literally. And I sat down. I think I sat down next to Dixie. No way. Yeah, I think I think I sat down next to her actually. Who would become your best friend? Who would become my best friend? Um, wow. And that, that it went from there. And I think shortly after, if not within the first week or within the very first few days, I met Amanda. Interesting. Um, and and she was um, new as well. Yeah. So she um, 
they told me to show her around. Okay. <laughs> and I was kind of thinking, but I'm new too. Like, yeah. <laughs> what do you want me to show her around? And I, but I felt at the time it felt like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. come, I'll show you. Like mm. I'm completely new to the country. Forget the school, the country, but I'll show you. You know, the entire, the mm. entire school. Um, and yeah, that was that's the only thing that's pretty much how I remember my first day. I remember going home and expecting to feel. You know that that thing you expect to see you see in movies, right? Mm. Like, oh, I miss my old friends, I miss my old yeah. lifestyle. I didn't really feel that way, but you didn't I miss think at all. no, I never did. That's the great, the, the crazy thing. I never really missed it. It was more of a, and I think it was just because it was all very overwhelming. It was everything was very new. Um, I remember history like there was no tomorrow because at that point I felt the language barrier. It was in history. Um, and it was because it was just all happening so quickly. Mm. So it was like I had all these ideas in my head. I just couldn't get them out. Mm. So it was at, at, at that point, I think it's the only time I felt disheartened um, because I was like, I'm smart and I know I'm smart and I can't show people that I'm smart. And it was a level of frustration. And it's just, it's there's a... Um, um, I don't know if you know Superwoman. Oh, no. Yeah, Lily Singh. Yeah, Lily Singh. So yeah. there's a thing in her book where she talks about ladders. And it's the Mouse. idea. The book Mouse. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and it's the idea that you can be at the top of a ladder in a field mm. and at the bottom of a ladder in another field. Mm. And that's how it was for me. I knew back home I was top of the class. Everyone knew that I was smart. Everyone acknowledged it. Everyone was aware of it from teachers to like schoolmates, families, everything. Here, <laughs> it was it was the flip side of no one knows me. Interesting. So I have to prove myself all over again. Quick question. Um, did you... Uh, there's, there's a great book, um, Carol Dweck, book called Mindset, Fixed Mindset, Growth Mindset. We'll get into that later. But interestingly, a, a play off the book is people build their self-esteem around different things. And I'm curious... Did you build your self-esteem around being smart at one point in time? Because it certainly sounds from what you're telling me it was important to you. No, you're not cocky. But I'm curious, what made you build your self-esteem around being smart? Was it the fact that all the external validation you got uh, as a result of being top of the class? Or is it the more the fact that it was the kind of one certainty you had to like push through all the obstacles you've been through at that point? It was... Um I think even if I I've, if I was to say it wasn't the sense of validation, I'd be a hypocrite because mm. to some extent it probably was. Um, but more so, it was the hard work that was put into it. So Romania has an education system that is very intense. Mm. Um, and I remember being like seven years old and not spending any time outside during summer because my mom had me do extra homework. Mm. And she would literally be like, right, you've got 100 math exercises that you need to get done today. Wow. And you're not moving from this table until you finish them. So it's very much, we have that mentality and that culture where if you find something difficult, you stick at it until you've figured it out. Mm. You don't just bail. Mm. So that sense of I'm smart and I'm intelligent and I know I can study is because I worked extremely hard. That's mm. where it all came. That's where that confidence came from. Um, and at the same time, it was it was my identity in a sense. So it was my mom very much brought me and my grandma. They were always like, you know, don't ever 
I don't think they ever told me I was pretty or they made me ever feel like I am pretty, but they always made it feel like your brain is the most important part. Your, your, your biggest asset is your brain. So whatever happens, you focus on that. Career, education, those are the most important things in your life. So I always had that mindset. I remember one of the very first conversations I had with Tixi was that I would never put anything and anyone above my education. Mm. And the minute that I felt like someone or something was getting in the way of my education, I would cut them out. Wow. Like it's when I hit that point where I thought, oh, I can't study because of you. Oh, I can't study because of this, that I would just be able to flip a switch and say, nope, this is it. This is where I draw the line. Yeah. It was essentially the most important and I think it was the one thing that I had that was the closest to me. Wow. It's the one thing that I had in my control and I always knew that if I work hard enough, if I study hard enough, yeah. if I keep at this for long enough, I'll have the result. Amazing. So having that taken away because of the language, by far the most difficult thing in the entire experience. What I mean, what I love from just a, a distance is, you know, we spoke off this recording about the importance of women being empowered mm, mm. Uh, the effect of you growing up with strong yeah. women in your life and do you think <coughs> in a way your your grandma and your mum were kind of engineering traits that would allow you to be independent of men and <laughs> this is another thing I actually want to get into I think we'll, and we'll, we'll, we'll segue into this in a bit not only independent of men but give you the confidence where you can walk away from toxic relationships because you know you have that financial independence you've got that certification in terms of education and so on so that's that's building around your smarts i'm just curious so what do you think about that and then also how did you navigate like how did you survive getting through those moments where your your english wasn't quite there so you could prove yourself um, so, in, yeah, in, in terms of the whole independence thing, definitely. So, I, and I think it had to do a lot with my grandma's circumstances and my mom's circumstances. Mm. So, my my grandma lost, her husband died when she was fairly young. Mm. I think she was in her late 30s, maybe early 40s. My mom was 16 mm. or so at the time. Um, so, essentially, she had to bring my mom up on her own. Mm. And then my mom got divorced when I was three years old. So, mm. she practically had to raise me by herself um obviously with the help of my grandma but it was always very much a tribe of women Definitely. <laughs> so it was it was from the get-go yeah it wasn't so much the idea of you don't need a man it mm. was more of you have to make it on your own but you don't want to be you don't want to be in a, well i guess what i'm saying is you don't want to be in a circumstance where you're too reliant, reliant on yes it was right? and it wasn't so much the idea of being reliant on a man mm. it's just being reliant on anyone it, it was nice. it was the whole thing of you only have yourself at the end of the day mm. so you have to be able to, to make sure or at least know to some extent that financially emotionally mentally you're okay on your own yeah no matter what happens so it was always just literally drilled into my head that you are your your first support system is yourself mm. that is it um, so but yeah i think that had a lot to do with them being very independent themselves um and also a fear that i may one day go through the same thing that they'd gone through mm. um and i think coming back to the point you made about toxic relationships 
that's the one thing that's helped me break out of those toxic relationships. Um, the second part of the question was about the English, but the, the, yeah, how did so I overcome second, that? Yeah, how did you overcome this? Uh, so you built your self-esteem around being smart, but yeah. you felt your level of English wasn't allowing you to, mm. to, 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 to show that it. potential, to show it. Yeah. How did you break out of that, given that that was so important to you? Um, I think resilience. I knew it was the same mindset. If I work hard enough, I will overcome it. Mm. Um, and I think in a, naively I had this self-confidence and belief that it will work out. Mm. Um, if it was at this point in my life, I'd probably doubt it a lot more. I would doubt myself a lot more. At that point, it was just, the, I know I'm smart. I just have to find a way to show it. Um, one thing that helped was um, some of my teachers. So I got put in set four for English. Mm. Um, and I don't remember the teacher's name. I think it was a Dutch guy. Okay. Yeah. And he, um, I was extremely quiet, but I remember whenever he asked me to say something, he would like what I have to say. Mm. So he was like, um, and I think at that point, my written work showed my potential. Because that's where I felt comfortable just expressing myself. I had more time to think about how I would phrase things. I didn't feel like, oh, people are going to judge me because of an accent or because I can't find the right words to say what I want to say. Mm. Um, so I, my, my written work definitely showed my potential a lot more than what I would say in class. Mm. Um, and he was like, right, I'm going to push for you to, to move up um, a set or two. And nice. I got moved to set two. Wow. And that gave me that instant boost uh the second one was like i think i got put in set for for uh maths as well yeah yeah um and again the teacher was like no you're you're better than this you're way better than this and that's i've always said i've i've had this luck throughout my life and i'm touching your leg again it's, fine. <laughs> it's, fine. it's a theme of the interview we'll go with it oh i'm on <laughs> See, now I got distracted. What was I saying? Teachers, that's Teacher, the one. You're in, in set four for maths. Yes, you said it's yeah. better than um, this. And I've always had this luck throughout my life of just finding amazing teachers. Mm. Um, either teachers that saw something different in me or just believed in me or... It, 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 I, I can't explain it, but in Romania, here, throughout university, uh, sixth form there's always been a teacher or a couple of teachers that have been like right you you're special and it's it's something that's just given me I think especially at the time I I portrayed damn self-confident and mm. I have this belief in myself but I didn't truly feel it mm. so hearing it from someone else always gives you that oh maybe I, I am good you know I, maybe I am smart I know I mm. say I'm smart and I come across as I think I'm smart but I don't truly believe it interesting so um yeah, for for Mats, um, and she. Oh, I will. I'll be grateful to her for the rest of my life. She actually did tuition with me after school. Amazing. So she, I think that year. So I got put in year ten, right? Okay. But I'm a year older than all of you. Yeah. So she was like, right, we're gonna get you to do your maths GCSE in year ten. Mm -hmm. You're gonna catch up with everything in one semester. You're going to do the casework. It was the last year, the last batch that we're doing the casework. Mm -hmm. um, was it casework? Was it called casework? Coursework. Coursework. There we go. Um, it feels like casework. Casework. Oh, trust me. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Um, she was like, you're going to get the coursework done. We're going to stay however many hours you, you have to stay after school. We'll do it. Um, and I remember it was, I think, the very first time we were staying after school. And she, 
I was writing something down and I think instead of full stop I put a comma or something mm. and I said oh but this is how we do it back home so you can't just expect me to you know know how it's done here and I'll never forget this she said well you're not back home so get used to it was this Miss Brobby? Yes. Fuck, she yes, was a beast. It was Miss Just Brobby. that tone. I love her. Just that tone. That woman I, made me good at maths. Right. Oh my right. god. Uh, for Sats, at least she set me straight. She had exactly what I needed. We're going on a high speed chase. Eh? She used to say that all the time. <laughs> yes. Today we're going on a high speed oh, chase. I love that woman. Oh, it's and it, but she was exactly what I needed when I needed it. Interesting. Um, and it was I will never forget that moment because I think I I sat in my chair and it just made me so humble because mm. in in my head I was like I'm smart I'm smart I'm smart, mm. and she just brought me down and built me up at the same time because she wasn't saying I'm not smart. She was mm. like I recognize the fact that you're smart, but you have to do things my way now. Yeah. Or you're not going to get where you want to get. Yeah. Um, and then she got me to. I remember I showed her. I had this folder of all the exams um, that I like a, a sort of coursework folder mm-hmm. of everything that I'd done in Romania. And she took it to um, the head of the math department. I think Mr. Bart. Mr. Bart. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she showed it to him, and he was. She was like, you know, she's doing. She's done stuff that's like at the university level it's, mm. it doesn't make sense for her to be in set four mm. um and he was just very like no 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 but we don't know whether she's actually because it was just papers right so you yeah. didn't know whether it was written by me or someone yeah, else true. so he was like we don't know if this is actually her we have to da, 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 test her ability she didn't did that and i was just like oh crap this is never gonna work out mm. um and they got me to sit I think we did some tests that year to see who could do the AAS a year early. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, so they got me to year. do that. And I don't know whether I did well or not. I can't exactly remember. Mm-hmm. I just, I think I sat it twice, actually. Okay. Or um, something along those lines. But I, I just remember her coming up to me and saying, we need to get your coursework done. And we need to get it done. And I did it in some stupid time of like two weeks. Yeah. And she kept saying, you know, if you can overcome this and if you can do a coursework that students take, I don't know, a year or two to do yeah. in two weeks, you can accomplish anything. Wow. And I did it. With I mean, a lot of it was her help. Literally, she she had the amount of patience this woman had mm. <laughs> is incredible. And I'll be forever grateful. Um, and then I stuck it out throughout set four, I think, and then I did my AS early, my maths AS one year early. AS early. Yeah. A strong woman helping out another strong woman. I told you it's a theme. It's a theme, and I feel like Miss Brobby has her own journey. I know that she did uh, maths early as well, Mm. but coming from where she's coming from, and she has her own story Mm. too. Wow, that's that's really interesting. yeah, it's never too late, Miss Brobby, if you're listening. It's amazing. It's I want you to kind of talk about um, friendship for a bit. That is another theme that we yeah. usually cover because you're coming to a new country. Again, I can imagine making friends isn't easy for most people. I mean, <laughs> you, you got you got lucky sitting next to Dikshika because yeah. she's. Okay, so let's jump right into it. Let's talk about how you made friends 
and your relationship with Tikshika early on? So, um, I mean, the library was my best friend for a while, I have to say. Um, it was initially, I think I, I hanged around more with, I think I hanged around with Amanda a little bit mm -hmm. uh, here and there. Um, I was kind of just floating, and I think in a way, I, I hanged around with Sadia. Mm. Um, and I think it was very much because I was comfortable being alone, I didn't mind it. Yeah. So I didn't really feel the need to have friends. And I know that sounds like, oh, she's such a loner, but it was genuinely a place of comfort for mm. me. So the way the way i approached school was i'm not here to make friends and i think that was my whole experience with moving to uk like i'm not it, i'm here to settle i'm here to live for yeah. you know at least the foreseeable future mm. but i'm here to learn to better myself to achieve all the things that i knew i could never achieve back home mm. so the friendship thing wasn't a focus I, I wasn't like oh i'm not gonna feel included or i'm not gonna feel like i'm i, I fit in or i don't fit in that's not going to be a worry mm. um but there was definitely a point i remember when i think it was within the first few months where uh i think actually it was after my first science test i came home and I was, no, I didn't even come home. I had one of those moments that you see in movies where you go to the toilet and you cry and you break down mm. because you're like, fuck, I did so shit. Like, I remember I'd studied the night before and I was like, oh my God, I didn't do well. And I was like, this is the end of it. I'm never going to make it. Da, da, da. Mm. And it was at that point that I was like, I wish I had friends. To come Because, you. yeah, to come for me. And my mom did a great job of it, but it was like, no, you don't understand because you didn't sit the test. I just needed someone else who had been there through it with me to mm. be like, yeah, that was hard, you know? And mm. it's not just because you're new and you maybe don't speak the language that well and you're not familiar with the... I, I got dropped in like towards the end of September. So they were testing me over something that you guys had done for three weeks. Yeah. And I had like a week to learn. So plus the language, plus everything else. Um, so it, it was at that point where I thought, oh man, it, some friends would have really helped. Um, but I remember I went home and I was still in touch with friends from Romania mm. and I turned to them at that point. Um, but that didn't last very long. So I don't actually remember at what point. Oh, I do remember actually. I was walking uh, down. I don't even remember. You know the area where everyone used to play basketball yeah. and then you had that other playground area towards like the product design buildings and stuff right yeah, yeah. okay so i was walking down there and then i heard someone go i don't I, I don't think she called me by my name they said something to get me to come over but it was like shouted out over the entire playground and it mm. was annette and it was annette Tixi, juliana and i think kushbu was there as well yes yeah so <laughs> they got me there <laughs> they got me to walk over um and Tikshika says that her first question to Annette was why are you calling this one over <laughs> something oh like wow. that I know the little savage in her yeah. um and it was we just went from there I think at that point I felt most drawn to Juliana because mm. she was so blunt <laughs> and so honest, honest <laughs> and I, I was like I I like her mm. I really like her she was and she felt like the mum of the group. Mm. So they ca I kind of just tagged along. I remember I sat down and they asked me a few questions. Um, 
I think Annette was the only one that tried to make conversation with me. Kushbu, yeah, Kushbu and Dixie were sitting next to each other, giggling like, "Why the hell is she here?" Juliana mm. um, was just going off, complaining about something. Classic, uh, classic Juliana. <laughs> um, and then Annette was like, "Oh, so you moved here? So it's just you and your mom and yeah. this and that and how's Romania and so on and so forth." And she would like correct little things that I would say, and she'd be like, "Oh, it's said like this, or it's spelled like that, or it's," and I, in, in that moment, I didn't see it as. It's, it's what I needed It's what I wanted Right I was like Oh okay okay Yeah sure I'm learning This is what I want mm. um, And then I just Tagged along And I always tell them You lot have a thing For strays mm. You just You know how they met Kushbu And then they saw her In the library And they were like Oh do you want to come yes. Hang around with us I'm like We're a group of strays mate Because they were all strays Yeah we're all strays group. We're just a bunch of strays Put together That's Yeah And so then cool. I, As far as I remember It's very difficult To remember those moments Because Whenever I think back, I'm like, we are inseparable throughout mm. the entire year, the two years, we were literally inseparable. Mm. Like, I don't remember a high school experience where they weren't there. Yeah. So, um, and it, it all happened, it went from zero to 100. It went from being in that comfort zone of I'm alone and I'm fine with it to I have amazing friends and i cannot believe it i can't believe that i found people that i can connect with mm. on on a true level like on a really meaningful level um and it just it felt i i it, it blessed really because i was like it's, this is not how it's supposed to go so i i always used to think oh it's, it's supposed to be harder it's supposed i'm supposed to find it difficult i'm supposed to have bitchy friends before i meet my true friends not just find the right ones from the get-go yeah but it this is how it happened wow <laughs> yeah there's two ways to go either we go down the friendship road or yeah. we psychoanalyze why you oh. think it's supposed to be difficult <laughs> i think you know which road i'm gonna go oh down um We'll come back to friendship in a bit, but I'm curious. You, you said it's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be difficult. Is that because you're someone that's had a fair share of ups and downs and you're, you're incredibly resilient? That's one thing I love about you. Yeah, that's it's interesting that you said it's supposed to be hard and it's supposed to be difficult. I think a lot of people would have that perspective maybe from the movies, but you you lived that. You had a lot of difficulty and you had a lot of hardship, but you had very strong women in your life to prop you up has there any has there been any areas of your life where it's felt too good to be true at certain moments and how have you reacted has it been self-sabotage or is it doubt let's go through that <laughs> oh self-sabotage oh that's my expertise right there <laughs> um oh yeah definitely i i think especially when it comes to relationships mm -hmm. it, it always felt some things felt like, oh, this is too good to be true. Um, and yes, in a sense, it's what you said. I, there have been so many difficult times in my life that I had to overcome that it never felt. When something came too easy, it almost felt like this will come to an end. Interesting. Um, and it's, it wasn't, it was that whole thing about, yes, it's too good to be true. Mm -hmm. But also, I know it will come to an end because it's, I've never had something that's lasted come to me easily i've always had to fight for it i've always had to work extremely hard for it whether it's a relationship or a, like a personal achievement mm. education career whatever it is mm. um 
and I think that's one of the reasons why I've stayed in toxic relationships because it's always been like oh if it's hard work it's meant to be mm. right and it took me a long time to reset myself and think of it differently and be like no if it's hard work it's actually not meant to be and it's not meant to be this much hard work at least from just one side yeah. you know when it's when it's both sides working it's different um but yeah I th- and, I, and a part of it was the movies honestly mm. like I, I i got into this sense of like it's why is it so easy why am i finding it easy to make new friends and fit in so quickly and uh, adjust it, it really didn't take i mean the period of time that it took for me to adjust was brutal but mm. it wasn't too long so i think it was about a couple of months maybe okay um probably even less but it was it was just and i think of a lot of it is and this is going to sound really cocky but i never gave myself enough credit for how strong i am mm. so i never really acknowledged the fact that if it's a difficult situation i can overcome it yeah. So that's why it always felt too easy, right? Because yeah. I underestimated my own strength. Um, and it was, yeah. And, and the other, I, I just, I came in with the mindset of, oh, I will be ridiculed because I'm the new girl. Mm. Or, you know, people will treat me like I'm the new girl constantly. And it was very much like that. I just didn't expect it not to bother me. Mm. So it, it was generally that sense of fuck it <laughs> yes. that I was talking to you about that I had from very early on I just didn't realize it mm. um, and it was like if people laughed at uh, let me think of an example accent for example that's a big thing right mm. so if people laughed at it it genuinely didn't bother me or if I said something that sounded stupid and they laughed at it didn't bother me I'd be mm. like and so what Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean Like, it, it was that level of i just i i don't care like i'm not here for your approval Mm. um and it was i mean naturally as a teenager it will affect you of course right but i I mean it didn't affect me to the point where it controlled my emotions or it Mm. controlled my experience it was just i'm the new girl and that's what it is and i'm i'm i wasn't just the new because for example amanda was the new girl as well yeah but she had been in the country she had been to school here i was the new girl to the country (laughs) not just the school um so yeah i think but i i still expected it to be hard Mm. just i expected it to be difficult i was like i can't believe that is this easy and i remember thinking why are people complaining like being new is not that bad Mm. um but i think it was just a matter of i didn't care i was exposed to all the other things that new people or you'd you'd see in movies that new girls and new boys are exposed to but Mm. i just didn't care interesting i think one i think your superpower and it is a superpower in many respects is your level of self-awareness and i think that's the thing that most people lack it's the reason why we chase jobs that aren't a good fit for us we get into relationships that aren't good but it sounds like despite everything you've been through you kind of have a peace with your kind of mistakes your vulnerabilities your relationships um i'm just curious was this how did you get so self-aware and like how did you kind of sit with that vulnerability and like develop that fuck it 
and I'm tightening the screws now because I know, because I I just know you have a lot to give. I'm just, I think people listening to this will be thinking, wow, she's really strong, and you are really strong. And I'm gonna continue with this flattery for another minute or two. <laughs> no um, all right, look, let's let's just get to the punchline. Okay. You've been through some dark shit. Yeah. You've been through some seriously dark shit. You've come out the other side of an incredibly well-adjusted person. <laughs> um, and we were speaking recently, and you said it's only. Uh, I asked you how happy you were, and you said an eight out of ten, and that fucking blew my mind. <laughs> so, wha- I guess what I'm trying to get is, at what point did you? And you said it was recently. Mm. But at what point did you kind of develop this sort of inner peace mm. where you're comfortable with yourself and you're kind of ac- you're so open about so many different things? Ha- like, what was th- that journey like? Okay. Um, let's see, the flattery blew my mind. Now I don't know where to start. There is no yeah. right place to start. To uh. start you feel like it. Um, oh, that, that self-awareness. I think... If I was, uh, when people ask me how Mm. I got here, um, I tend to start with a simple answer, which shocks a lot of people. Mm. uh, And the how is crying a lot. So I feel like people run away from crying, uh, especially our generation. And I think it's, I don't see as a sign of vulnerability. Mm. It's for me, it's a way of letting things out. Mm. But I only started acknowledging that very late in my life well i speak as if i'm 40 but Mm. i mean there were times definitely throughout my teenage years and definitely when i was younger and stuff with my dad was going on and Mm. all of that where i'd feel like no i have to put on a strong front and i can't cry and i can't show weakness and this is me being vulnerable and if i'm vulnerable i'll get hurt and i can't let people hurt me Mm. and it was always men Mm. right so Daddy issues. <laughs> we'll get on to that later, yeah. um, it, it was always like, you know, be strong. And it, the, the way of showing strength was to put up a front, to never cry, to never show emotion, to, to have that fierceness. Um, and I think that's, that's how Tikshi perceived me all the time as this strong, independent woman who had extreme control of her feelings. The reality was that I was numb. So I wasn't feeling anything. It, was, it wasn't, you, I didn't feel fear. I didn't feel love. I didn't feel hate. I didn't feel anything. And that, in my opinion, is the most dangerous place you can be in as a person. Mm. Because nothing affects you. You mm. don't feel joy. You don't feel accomplished when you do accomplish something. So I think I got to a point where I was like do i really want to not feel happy just because i risk being hurt Mm. or am i willing to take the risk of being hurt feeling pain being vulnerable but also have joy and happiness and all of that in my life and it was i i think i made the shift it it was too abrupt because i went from being completely numb and completely emotionless to feeling everything at once and i just let Every th- I, I let emotions take control of me. What's the turning point there? Uh, getting in a relationship. Okay. At a very young age. That was it. I think that was the point. I think in a sense, um, getting close to Tikshi and Kushbu and all of them was the starting point of it. Because that's when I remember saying to Tikshi, I can't believe I have a true friend in you. 
Mm. So it was that idea of, excuse me, true friendship mm. that felt too good to be true. And I had good friends and true friends in Romania. I mean, one of my closest friends, there's a month between us. So mm. she was born a month after me and I've known her literally for yeah. my entire life. Amazing. Um, but it was, it w- I, I think th- the rapidity with which it happened the way we me and Tixi got close it was it was so intense and it had so much meaning that I was like oh this is true friendship so in the whole feeling starting to feel things and open myself up it, it started with them but then the point where I fell in love was it was just all the daddy issues and all not just daddy issues I think that's probably a very oversimplification yeah it is definitely an oversimplification it was just abandonment in general mm. so it, it wasn't just my dad leaving it was losing my godfather it was my mum moving to a completely different country I mean 11 to 15 in in any child's life are difficult years but being a girl on top of that it's you go through so much that it's just and it was the nature of my relationship with my mom. We were best friends. I would literally come home from school and I would tell my mom everything. Mm. So to go from that to not having her in the country and speaking to her once a week and being brought up my, by my grandma who had a very different mindset. She was very controlling. And it, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It was coming from a point of you're in my care now. Your mm. safety is in my hands. So I am going to be over controlling and over protective and all of that stuff. Mm. Um, so when i fell in love all of those abandonment issues and everything came into play interesting and i didn't realize it at that point Mm. so what i thought was falling in love was really just me um it's like finding finding a mechanism i thought i was fixing all of those things Mm. so i was like oh i have all these these feelings of pain of not being loved of being left behind i I just always felt like i was left behind by the Mm. people that loved me right and here is this man who is making his entire life about me Mm. is i'm the center of his world literally Mm. he's shown me what i thought was unconditional love um and it was just at that point that i just started to feel everything Mm. all in one go um so I think a huge part of me becoming self-aware was going through that. Yeah. So it's not reaching that 8 out of 10 happiness and being this self-aware and being this okay with who I am and what I've gone through happened over the years. Mm. So it's through every single struggle that I've learned something about mm. myself. It's not. I say that I'm finally at that point now and it's happened recently because it's recently that I felt like yep it's concluded you know i i finally know who i am independently of anyone else mm. so it's not my happiness remember what i said to you but my happiness doesn't depend on a person mm. or on a job or on a particular experience i can be happy whilst i'm sad i can mm. be happy but happy is a strong word but i i'm okay when i'm sad so mm. i'm okay when i'm hurting because i know i have what it takes to deal with that i know mm. i have the mechanisms to cope and get through it and i'm finally in that mindset where i'm i think to myself you know the good times came and went so the bad times will come and go too mm. it's, it's not like 
I don't it, it, I think at that point when I opened myself up I felt everything so intensely yeah. that it felt like the world would come to an end in that moment so and I, I think that's part of being a teenager as well yeah uh, so if, if something went wrong in the relationship it'll be like oh, this is it mate this is my world this is it I'm never gonna recover um, and I used to hate it I remember especially at the start of the relationship with this person we were going through it was a difficult start mm. so it, it, it was very much one-sided um, and I wanted it more than he wanted it mm. so it was um, I remember crying a hell of a lot like I was that typical teen teenager girl just like crying in the middle of the night and then going to sixth form the next day and I hated it because I was like I've always been this strong independent girl that doesn't need anyone and suddenly I'm this vulnerable girl that cries all the time and I'm in pain and I'm like I've got all this self-pity and I need people to feel sorry for me and I'm hurt and no one understands I was so mad <laughs> like you have to there's no other way for me to explain it but just imagine going from feeling nothing to feeling everything mm. anger pain happiness love all at once like it's hard for an adult to handle that let alone a teenager mm. um don't remember where i was going with this but i was going somewhere with it okay we were uh, we were talking about how you got to that eight out of ten happiness oh, place yes yeah um just a quick point um mm -hmm. something interesting you said no, you're not waffling. I just want to capture a, a, a piece of the story that you told me uh, when we last met, which is you said there was a point where you were in, in, you know, in this long term relationship. It, you felt like it was alleviating a lot of issues you had in the past uh, with abandonment and your friends were kind of, you know, si saying, you know, Linka, like we don't see you as much or you're, you're losing yourself in this relationship. And it was only when you decided to do a year abroad in was it south korea singapore. singapore sorry for a year talk about that okay. and and kind of it's interesting because your journey is one of being incredibly strong and powerful navigating your way alone a lot of the time and then you find this group of friends and then you find uh, this what you thought was the love of your life at the time or what felt like the love of your life at the time and then you go back to being alone again which is which used to be a familiar place but is now uh, is now not so let's talk about revisiting that yeah. so okay let me start with this i think people have um they find it difficult to understand how someone who is strong and independent can and has a support system around them right mm. can drift towards a relationship mm. so in my in my situation it was i had the friends i had the family support i had the you know i'm a strong person i can deal with stuff on my own type mm. of mentality but it was drifting towards a relationship with a man mm -hmm. because it was the male figure that was always missing from the picture mm -hmm. right so it it's I, I still think people struggle to put those two things together and I'm always trying to make people understand that you can be an independent person and drift towards a type of relationship that you've been missing your entire life mm. purely because it's what you see around you 
so it, it's natural right you can't it, it's it doesn't take away from your independence it doesn't take away from your strength it's just something that if you've not dealt with that um just that lack of something mm. yourself as a person then you'll naturally drift towards someone else or something else that will fill that void interesting um but yeah so i went from having the friends being the strong person getting in a relationship um and my friends throughout the entire time um and we lost contact at one point completely mm. were saying this isn't the right thing for you um and the reason why they were saying this isn't the right thing for you is because i became a completely different person mm. so i was i went from being fun and crazy and adventurous to being and i hate the fact that i'm going to use this phrase a good girl so what is typically seen as a good girl you know you don't talk to that many people guys or girls um my focus was very much on this person on mm. the relationship on him on us any spare time i had i was using to see him mm. um so it was i was losing my relationship with my mom was becoming rocky so it was affecting every single aspect of my life um it was starting to get in the way of me studying and it was i think at that point that i began to feel like oh is this right for me but i somehow managed to become detached enough from the relationship while staying in the relationship mm -hmm. to be able to study and carry on with my studying so that's how i justified it to myself i was like oh if i can focus on my studying which is the most important thing for me then surely this relationship can't be bad mm. um but i didn't i think i was realizing who i was becoming and this person that I was molding into but i just refused to acknowledge it mm. so i just whoever was saying whatever they were saying to me i was like you're not jealous but i'm happy and you can't believe that i'm happy and you're just not happy for me interesting and that was it so then i decided to do a year in singapore um best decision of my life um and it was this was uh i think about four or five years within the relationship so i had gone to university um and we'd had i mean i don't feel i, I was happy throughout the entire relationship there was nothing particularly wrong uh, i mean there were things there were issues that i can now see but i didn't see at the time mm. um and then i decided to to do a year abroad and the year abroad thing was very much the same as the i'm going to live in london one day thing Interesting. yeah it was one of those gut feelings that i just knew i would do and i would do it no matter what happens okay. so um and it was one of the reasons why i chose leicester uni actually because, because they allowed abroad. me to do a year abroad. Dixie said the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, I actually pushed her to go for Leicester. I was like, you can't go Queen Mary's. You have to come Leicester. Da, 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 da. Um, and um, yeah, so when it, it came, I went, I did a year abroad in my third year. So um, in my second year, I was starting to talk about it uh, with my boyfriend at the time. Um, and the idea was to do it together. He yes travel. he would travel with me he would work i would study and then would come back mm. um and as the time approached it became evident that that wouldn't happen so i think at that point is where i started finding the old me again because my instinct was to say i'm still going regardless mm. of what's happening regardless of what this might mean to our relationship 
I am going. I'm going to do this, and there's nothing anyone can do about it. That independent yeah, instinct. Yeah, that, that back it in. kicked back in, and it was. I remember feeling so weird about it because I was like, I, I became very dependent on this mm. person. So it was, it was a level of comfort that I'd reached in the relationship that you cannot imagine. So I would literally let this person do things for me. It completely. I don't want to say he completely stripped me away from the independence or the relationship completely stripped me away from my independence. I let it get mm. to that place. And it got it, it came from a place of comfort mm. and, and me thinking, I've never had this kind of attention. I've never been looked after by a man before. Mm. And it was something that I just enjoyed. I just didn't know how to not let it impact every aspect of my life, basically. Mm. So um, my mom asked me, where do you want to go? And I said, um, as far away as possible. <laughs> yeah. So the choice was between Australia and Singapore. Um, and I went for Singapore because it was the first time that they were doing this exchange program with uh, Singapore Management University. Mm. So I was like, I'm going, to be t I'm going to be the first person going there. So not only will it be difficult because it's just me going, there were no other students going, mm. but I will also be the very first one. So it's like a test run for them. They haven't figured everything out. Everything that's supposed to go wrong will go wrong. You're seeking discomfort. I am. I am. That's but that brilliant. was that was me. That was the me yeah. I knew. Like the the one that didn't run away from challenges. The mm. one that didn't seek comfort. It was the complete. The, yeah, fuck it. Let's just do it and see how it goes. Yes. Um, and I landed <laughs> in Singapore, and the first week was the hardest week of my life. Um, I thought it was going to be easy because I went in with the mindset and I was excited on the plane. <laughs> right. Once I got there, I was like, mm -mm, no, <laughs> hell no. Um, and it was just because I thought I've moved country before. So how difficult can it be? Um, also, I've moved country when I was 15. Now I'm what, 21? Yeah. How, how difficult can it be? Mm. Um, what I didn't think of was I'd been in a relationship for five years. I'd been cuddled. I'd been protected from everything, in a sense, by the relationship. Mm. Um, and when I did move country previously, I didn't do it on my own. I didn't go to a place that I didn't know, uh, where I didn't know anyone. I'd moved with my mum. I moved to live with my mom in a place where I always, if anything was to go wrong, I had her. Mm. So it was the very first time in a long time where I realized how I'd taken her for granted for years. Because I was like, I've been focusing my entire, just my, m all of my energy on this relationship, not realizing who my mom, what my mom means to me, right? Mm. So I remembered that friendship we had that special relationship where i could go to people and say she's my mom and my dad she's my best friend she she's my everything right wow. so that that was the first thing when i moved to singapore the second thing was the first week i spent basically on skype crying again i, I make it sound like i cry a lot i really don't you but don't. <laughs> but it, it's just i'm not i think i got to a point where i wasn't afraid to let to show my emotions and as you crying. said the strength in crying yeah there is the, i genuinely crying, believe right? i i tell people this all the time cry 
just cry. Just cry? Just cry. It, you don't even need a reason. I need a lesson just in crying. <laughs> Seriously. I can teach you. I don't do enough of it. Yeah, you don't need a reason. You don't need to feel sad to cry. Sometimes you just need to blow off some steam. You're right. That is it. Um, and I, the first week was literally like, I'm, I'm coming back. I can't do it. Everything is hard. I remember going to get a SIM card and they wanted my passport. And it was just everything felt difficult like and as it would right it's a culture shock mm. you don't know how things work you don't know how people operate there was minimal support from the university i was staying in a hostel and i hadn't secured permanent accommodation Shit, so i had like five days to find a place to live um and it, it was just tough i had no internet unless i was in the hostel the hostel was like this basement with no windows so whenever i woke up i was like is it night is it day am i oh it was awful mm. um so um a lot of it was just yeah I'm, I'm going back home i'm going back home and then slowly 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 i'm like oh i can do this yeah. oh i've got this i've got that and mm. then it it got to a point where i just i i flipped I, and i was just me and i think the main if I was to, to pick a point was when I found my when I found a place to stay that oh no there was a point before actually so I stayed in this neighborhood called Little India Little India yes Interesting. which made it feel like home <laughs> I mean going from Wembley to Little India didn't feel like much of a difference Wembley is Little India. yes basically um, and I'm so glad I picked that hostel and I remember I was walking uh, home, I was walking back to the hostel one night and it was around 11 p.m. and it was like extremely dark and I, my phone had completely died and I felt safe. Like I felt so safe, mm. safe to the point where I, I had, I felt comfortable enough to put my music on mm. and just think to myself, nothing wrong can happen just wow. you're you're here you're doing your thing everything is gonna work out and i went back to the hostel and it was the first night where um i think my mom called me and i spoke to her for about 20 minutes and i told her what i had seen and i was like oh look and i think it was right after singapore's independence day or around that time i was like oh mom this was incredible and the fireworks and the celebration and it's so great and it's mm. it's insane and then my boyfriend skyped me and i was like oh i'm tired i want to go sleep mm. and then i watched a show to fall asleep so it was at that point that i felt the shift mm. because i was like oh i'm comfortable being alone again Interesting. and then when i found the place where i lived in the first semester i was surrounded by nine other women so it was it's it's the same thing i'm telling you it's mm. always women it was um a girl from that had been brought up in uh, the caribbean and moved to miami mm. um yep um someone from netherlands a couple of french girl a girl from belgium south korea it, it was just such an incredible mix and i hope i haven't forgotten anyone I really I mean <laughs> <laughs> it was it was such an incredible and I had a roommate wow yeah so it was like I was surrounded by this group of girls and I was I just remember looking around I remember walking into the flat seeing the landlord and saying so do I pay now <laughs> do I put the deposit down now and he was like chill let's just Relax. like get to know each other first and I was like no let's I'm, get down I'm to good, business good. let's do this wow um and it was 
from then, I remember the exact moment actually, walking into the apartment, being nervous as hell, and then my nerves just boom, went. And it was just complete calmness. And from then, it was smooth sailing. Wow. I love the, I love the cyclical nature of your, mm, mm. Of your story. Um, We're going to jump around. We'll bounce back to friendship quickly. Um, there was a period of time where... Oh, mind you, Singapore got fucked up by men again. So <laughs> All right, let's go back. Let's go back there. Okay, yeah, let's not, let's not, let's it's not. It's not just the cyclical nature in terms of women. It's well, it's your relationship with men relationship and, and women. It's interesting. Women seem to be a powerful force. And men, I don't know if it's men, but in, in a strange sense, it was the absence of men. Yes, and then I think it's my own insecurities when it comes to relationships with men. I don't think it has, yeah, I, 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 genu- I don't want to sound like I'm this feminist that hates men. I'm really not. I mm. love you guys like I don't know what I would do without you mm. but it's just it's my own shortcomings when it comes to having relationships with men that has been why it seems like men have a negative impact in my life mm. um, and but I'm glad that on the flip side it's always been my relationships with women that has brought me back to seeing things the way they are and making you know the right decision for me in yeah sense. yeah well, speaking about your speaking about your relationship with women, there was a point where your friendship with Tixi was mm. um, was tested. Oh, we're going there. We're going there. Oh, we have to every podcast. <laughs> we go to, we go to these places. Um, yeah, l- let's talk about that. So you know, mm. you've painted a quite a solid picture so far. There was a point though where, to some extent, you were away from the group. Mm. And this is what I find incredibly powerful. Uh, the, the people that listen to Thick Sheikah's interview, they will get a taste of it. But what Thick Sheikah was alluding to, there was a moment where you and her weren't speaking. She was maybe by accident being insensitive and posting a lot on the group of them hanging out together as friends. Mm. And you were seeing <laughs> all of this. And interestingly, your refuge was writing. And so you sought to go to your vlog and write about this best friend that you had now lost. And that best friend was Thikshika. And Thikshika read this blog, got wind of the fact that you were probably talking about her. You had a heart to heart. And at one point, I think you said to her, what you don't see is me crying myself to sleep every night. And I think that takes a degree of vulnerability that most people just don't have. Can you kind of express what it felt like going back to being alone but losing that losing that friendship that had given you so much strength yeah so um well let me start with this because i'm sure she's gonna listen to this and she's gonna be like bitch i wasn't being insensitive yeah um i don't think she was being insensitive i think they had a um like a catch-up as a group yeah uh, which they did invite me to but very last minute Mm -hmm. and it was a matter of did she saying to annette did anyone invite elinka and at this point we'd lost contact essentially um and she said you know whoever the invite can't come from me it has to be someone else and Annette last minute said oh can you come we're having a meet up and and I actually couldn't make it yeah but seeing the reunion post Mm. was what led me to think it was like an Instagram post I think yeah what led me to think 
fuck i lost my friends like it was just and i knew i think on a level that i hadn't lost them but it felt like i had yeah and it genuinely felt like my fault so that's what led me to write the friendship post on the blog um but i don't think I think as with most things that I write, it wasn't directed at someone or mm. at them. It was just my own realization of what friendship truly means to me. Mm. And it was that sense of I've lost something that was, you know, the, the whole thing about things that seem too good to be true come to an end. Yeah. It was just me falsely coming to that conclusion again and saying to myself, yes, it was too good to be true because it came to an end. Is that a defense mechanism? Yes, 100%. A hundred percent, and it's the self sabotage thing. It's mm. it's just like, oh yeah, it, I'm so happy that therefore this has to come to an end. And a lot of the reasons, a lot of times, why it comes to an end is because I'm self sabotaging it. Mm. Um, so um, right, the um, the friendship. Um, so we lost contact. I think the hardest thing listening to Dixie's post, um, I mean podcast, was realizing that there were times in her life where I wasn't there so for me it was now in the present I knew that I hadn't been there but just hearing it and it's like I know all the stories I know all she's gone through but it just hit home I was like crap I was not there for her and she meant so much to me and I just wasn't there so it was I think it definitely took for me to be completely alone again Mm. and completely get that sense of who I am as a person to see that what they had been saying all along was true that I was changing who I was that I I just wasn't myself that I was this person in a relationship that they had never seen before um, and it's just someone that they couldn't be friends with Mm. because it's not who they liked I think that's the reality of it. They liked the person that they met before the relationship. So it's difficult. Juliana always mentions that when I got my GCSEs results, I looked at them and I walked away to see my boyfriend and I didn't say bye. And and that is the reality of it. And I remember that is the last time I saw Juliana for years. Yeah. I mean for years. And I it. will never forget that. I will never and she always says it almost every single time we meet, she says that and I'm like, Yeah, bitch, I know. I'm sorry. Like <laughs> let's move on now. Mm. But it's the reality of it. And it's like I think because they met me at a point where I was um independent and seemed as you know, I came across as someone who's very in control of her feelings, they never thought that those moments would get to me Mm. so that's where that friendship post came from that's the place it came from Mm. it it was me saying no it does get to me i do love you guys all these little things did matter did affect me i did miss you you did play a big part in my life it wasn't smooth sailing it wasn't like he met all of my needs Mm. no i felt your absence Mm. so um yeah Kind of I don't. I don't know if I'm answering your question you at are. this point. I don't you know. are. What was the question? You are. And I was speaking about how kind of friendship, how you felt losing that friendship for a period of time. Mm. Um, no, you are. I think the thing, the, the tricky thing in this interview is you've got so many life experiences. Yeah, that is so. And there's and and there's so like I feel I feel like with you we need like four effort, four interviews <laughs> to like cover it all. Um, 
Okay. I'm just thinking where to take this. And we're going to take a break. And we're back. And we were just thinking about how many episodes we need to cover a Linker's life. I'm pretty sure it's in the region of 10. But something interesting that you said is the two sources of strength in your life are friendship and family. So let's talk about the family part. Uh, mainly the relationship with your mum. Let's start with that. Okay. Um, so, like I said to you, I... It's a bit of a paradox, the whole thing, being independent, having relationships, right? So it took me a very long time to come to terms with the idea that I can let people have relationships with me, let people love me, and that doesn't take away from my independence. Mm. Um, Because, as I said to you, independence in my world means being alone. So it wasn't a matter of, oh, yeah, I can have relationships. I can be friends with people. I can have a good relationship with my mom and still be independent. Mm. So, um, because I think the relationship with my mom, we were so tight because of the way she brought me up. Mm. So she always treated me like I'm a grown up and I'm able to understand what goes around me. Um, And I remember this from when I was three, four years old. She never sugarcoated what went on between her and my dad. Um, She never really... It's not like she spoke badly about him, but she wasn't holding back Mm. (laughs) in a sense. She wasn't saying, you know, things just didn't work out. Yeah. She was very upfront about the details of things. And so was my grandma. Um, And in a sense, that was great because it gave me a sense of this is the real world out there. At the same time, it was I was probably way too young to be exposed to that level of realness. Mm. Um, but what that meant and I always tell people the fact that my parents got divorced was probably the best thing that could have happened to me um, simply because it allowed me to have a relationship with my mom that is extremely rare I think when you have both parents in your life yeah because it's not and it's not a bad thing I'm definitely not saying having being brought up by a single parent is better than being brought up by both of your parents Mm. but it just allows you to have that friendship Mm. with your parent which is sometimes a bad thing um, as it transpired in my teens because I just I think that's when my mom struggled to have a sense of authority Mm. over me Um, Because I used to treat her as my friend. So I'd be like, I can do whatever I want. I don't have to listen to you. Mm. And then she put her Romanian foot down one day. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, oh, you're my child. (laughs) You're under my roof. Um, So it went from us being best friends. And when I say best friends, I genuinely mean best friends. I genuinely mean used to come home from school and tell her everything. Tell her crushes I had on boys. Tell her who I liked, who I didn't like what went on every little detail of my day fast forward to 11 she leaves the country and i'm left in a place where i'm like a part of me has gone Mm. literally i was like she was my everything and now i'm with my grandma and she's got this really old way of thinking and i'm restricted in what i'm allowed to do and i can't go out and i can't spend time with my friends because my grandma couldn't understand why i need friends Mm. um so I'm like, what is happening? Um, I just, I feel abandoned. Um, And it was at this point, I think, where I shifted my 
focus from family to friends. So friends became more important than family. Mm. And then um, my grandma would always say to me, and I had a lot of anger management issues at this point. She would say to me, you just don't appreciate the sacrifice that your mother is making to be able for you to have the lifestyle that you have to put food on the table, to look after you, to so on and so forth. And I just think to myself, she's not here. Mm. What sacrifice are you talking about? She's not here. She's not here with me. She's not here to guide me. She's not here to talk to me. I talk to her on the phone for half an hour every week. Mm. And that's superficial conversation. Mm. It's nothing meaningful. How was school? Yeah, it was great. How's London? Is great. What have you seen? Oh, this, that, this, that. Mm. Um, so I, I had a very, I was very angry mm. as a teen. Extremely angry. I remember I used to get arguments with my grandma where i would literally like punch walls <laughs> mm. like i would just get so angry i'd be like if you do do not get out of my face i will physically hurt you mm. um so i went from family is my support system family is everything to me to family means nothing family leaves you family forgets about you family doesn't care about you that's literally how i viewed things um and then it was when my uh, funny enough at the point where my mom left my dad came back into our lives okay. so at this point i hadn't seen him for a few years or at least hadn't had any meaningful relationship with him my mom leaves the country he suddenly comes back mm. and wants contact and says she's left the country um, i should be somehow involved in her life i have some sort of responsibility blah 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 mm. so i'm there thinking oh this is great this is my dad he loves me he wants to come back this is great and my mom and my grandma put this idea forward that he wants to take control of things for the money mm. so they're like nope it just means that if you're in his care your mom has to send money to him mm. so it's not really you he wants now i don't know if any of this was true mm. but i think them having brought me up by themselves that struggle so much that that overprotective overthinking was the only thing they knew mm. right so it was not saying it's right i'm not saying it's wrong mm. it's just the way they thought about things so um i at that point again i'm angry because i'm saying this is a part of family that i've never had and you're taking it away from me mm. so not only have you left me but now you're taking away the only family the only parent i have in this city away from me and you're denying me that mm. um and then it came to a point where because i was a minor my mother needed to get permission from my dad for me to travel abroad so he had to literally sign a legal document to say that it's fine for my mom to take me abroad he gives me permission he gives her permission whatnot um, and we got those papers done when my mom was still in London. Mm. So he came over. Uh, we lived on a, a first floor flat. He came over one day to drop off those documents. And my grandma, the, our main entrance to the flat was literally right next to the staircase. Mm. My grandma was standing at the top of the stairs. I was behind her inside the flat. My dad was at the bottom mm. saying, can you calm down and get the papers? 
and my grandma was like Elinka is right here she just wants to see you like she wants to just see you mm. and he was like no 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 there's no need for that can you just come down and get the papers and my grandma was like you don't have to spend time with her you just she just wants to see you she just wants to say hi and he was like no just come get the papers so my grandma went to get down get the papers and i thought to myself i haven't seen you in like five years mm. there is no way you're going to just come here drop off those documents and go and like not speak to me and that's exactly what he did so i remember standing in my room and the window to my room had a view of the front of the block of flats right and it was snowing and there was snow about like i don't know 50 centimeters and i just saw him walk away mm. like that and that was literally i think at that point my grandma came into my room and it was the only time we really had a conversation about how i felt mm. so she was like are you okay and I was like, wall up. Yep, I'm great. And it was at that point where I was like, no to family, first of all. Mm. And second of all, no to ever showing emotion again. So I was like, I'm just going to have fun with my friends. And I'm going to have... And my friendships at that point were very superficial as well. Fast forward to moving to London. I went from not seeing my mum... Well, I saw her for about a, a few months every year, right? Mm. From 11 to 15. Um, during summers to living in a room with her. Mm. So, at 15. So, <laughs> one bedroom. One bedroom. Both of you in the same room. Shared the bed and everything. Wow. So, it went from distance to being extremely close, all up in my privacy. Mm. So, it... It felt it was just too quick too much too quick mm. especially at that age so it, it was very much I think that's where our relationship really broke down mm. because one I was still angry uh, and two she wanted she expected things to go back to how they used to be before she left and I was saying no never because you left me I couldn't I, I couldn't yet understand I think uh, on some level I could rationalize it I could be like she did all of this for me mm. she did it for my own benefit if it wasn't for her struggle I wouldn't be here I wouldn't have the opportunities I have today she made my dream come true of living in London right mm. but to me it was just that pain that abandonment that you left me behind how could you type of thing um, so our relationship it broke down and it, the funny thing is that you never what i realize is that with relationships as especially with family they break down whilst they seem like they're at their strongest Interesting. so we were having conversations like we were best friends again so she was dating at the time she was telling me about who she was dating i was telling mm. her about who i was i liked in high school mm. she was me and my boyfriend nice. it was all of that sort of stuff and mm. but at the same time it didn't add any value it didn't repair the the break mm. in a sense and then it just went downhill all of a sudden so and i that was when i got in a relationship because i again shifted from i don't need family i have friends so that was one of her main issues that all of my energy all of my focus all of my me really opening up was with my friends and then with my boyfriend mm. and we used to have 
these crazy arguments. I mean, we would shout at each other. I mean, shout, scream, like say extremely hurtful things um, all throughout me knowing that she has cancer. So you have to get to, like, can you imagine how hurt you must feel to not care about the fact that your parent has cancer, yet you're just completely breaking down your relationship with them intentionally? Mm. So at this point, it wasn't even a matter of, oh, I'm hurt, therefore, indirectly, our relationship is breaking down through these arguments. It was a matter of, I'm going to do stuff to hurt you because you left me. It was that, and it, I, I think the hardest part was acknowledging that mm. and saying sorry to her because it was, I was like, I, I was so ungrateful and so selfish. And she was, the best bit was when she was like, no, you were just young. <laughs> like, you were a child. You expect way too much of you at that age. Like, you can understand all of this now. But you can't expect yourself at 15 to understand all of it. Mm. Um, but because I'm so hard of m- on myself, I'm like, I, no, I should have known. You're, you're my mom. I should have known. I shouldn't have put anyone else above you. Mm. So um, I think when I moved to Singapore, was it when I moved to Singapore? Yeah. When I moved to Singapore, um, she didn't tell me this until I got back. She didn't sleep at night. She would be like extremely worried. Um, and again, I moved away from her because I found myself and I was like, I'm confident, I'm independent, I'm, I'm proving to myself every single moment of every single day that I do not need anyone. Um, although I did need them very much. At the same, I was struggling financially. My mom was sending me money. My boyfriend was sending me money. But in my head, all of that was getting ignored. I was just focusing on I'm doing me and I'm good by myself. Again, being ungrateful. Just choosing to be, to ignore the help that I was getting because I couldn't understand how you can accept help from someone and still be independent. Mm. It's just that whole, to me, those things could not, they just couldn't interact with They're each other. They're mutually exclusive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, um, in whilst I was in Singapore and in a relationship, I fell in love with someone else in Singapore Um, and again my focus went on that person and it was just the adventure in itself right it was like this is new this is great it's fun he's I'm I'm with him I'm the person that I am without him with him so I'm like I don't have to be someone for him to like me someone else I can just be myself and he likes me for who I am. So I can be this crazy fun girl and he's completely fine with it. And again, I forgot this is this is a flaw of mine that took me a long time to accept. It's when something new and fun and thrilling comes along, I forget about all the other people that had been there for me the entire time. And I think that was the thing that Tixi's podcast made me realize that and she had been saying this for a while i just wasn't hearing it it's the fact that you've been here for me this entire time but there's this new person that excites me so i'm gonna forget about you Mm. and i'm just gonna focus on that because this is what pleases me at this point in time Mm. that's why i always say to people no you don't really understand how selfish i can be Mm. um uh, but of course i've changed 
I'm learning and all of that. Um, so my relationship with my mom in Singapore, again, drifted apart completely. Came back from Singapore. Um, it was a bit better, I think. We weren't arguing as much. Um, and then I went back to university and a very close friend of mine passed away. And that was the very first experience. I'd had family pass away, so my godfather passed away, which was a huge loss in my you're life. Only nine. Yeah, I was only nine. And it was it was such such a big impact. It had such a big impact on me. I remember seeing my dad at the funeral and saying, I wish it had been you. Like it was it was that level of just what the hell is going on? Mm. Um, so it, when my friend passed away, it was like, again, what is it with relationships and me, man? Like, why do all these people that mean so much to me and I, I value so much have to just some way, shape or form leave or I have to somehow break that bond with them? Mm. And it was after that that I think my relationship with my mom improved greatly. Because it was, I was finally realizing uh, she was going through chemo again. Yeah, at that point. Was it at that point? Yeah, she was going through chemo. And um, when, I mean, when, when we found out that she had cancer, um, it wasn't a matter, I didn't get a chance to sort of be, feel scared. Mm. It was very much... I have to be there for her mm. and that is it so you better pull yourself together and just be there for her i remember I, d I didn't even worry i didn't even i don't think i fully understood what was happening at the point the fact that she was having brain surgery all of that was just very much of yep it's a matter of fact and i just have to deal with it mm. i remember telling miss day i was like my mom has cancer she has a brain surgery scheduled i can't come into school for two days and she looked at me and she was just like how because i said it with a straight face it was just a this is the situation i'm mm. not asking you for permission to not come to I'm school telling i'm telling you i am not coming to school because mm. my mom's gonna be at home and i have to look after her mm. still don't know how social services don't get involved at this point mm. but somehow we escaped that um yeah. so it was but throughout this entire time from about 16 17 my mom's cancer just didn't matter to me I, it was I think because I dealt with it as such a um, it felt like I was taking care of her and I was angry and I was like you didn't take care of me or you weren't there for me when I you were supposed to be there for me so why should I be there for you it's your own responsibility to find someone to you know be there for you and support you I'm your child I shouldn't have to do that um, so we completely lost that sense of friendship and to me it, it's you know friendship and family mean a lot but it's when you have family and friendship put together that it means the most so my relationship with my mom mattered so much not because she's family but because we were friends as well as family after the kind of the passing of your friend at that moment in time i can only imagine that it's it's a realization that life is short for everyone especially if you're going through something like chemotherapy yeah. and i'm just curious at that that must have been a watershed moment at that point in time um you know how did your relationship with your mom change how did it evolve after that moment in time uh it, it got 
better. It went back to what it used to be. And funny enough, not because of the chemo or the cancer, but I went home with that same mindset of you can't possibly understand what I'm going through right now. I just lost a friend of mine who felt like I felt like I'd known him for years and I've not I'd known him for a few months. So I was like, you don't know what I'm going through. And she was like, actually, one of my closest friends who I had as a roommate throughout high school and university was killed in a car accident. She was like, I lived with this girl for five years. She was, and the, the way she said it was, she was my tikshi, and she died in a car accident. And at that point, I was like, fuck. <laughs> she had me. She Bitch. had me at that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you know what? Fuck this. She knows what she's talking about. And mm. I was like, I, it's one of those moments when she always says, you know, not everything has to be like a law degree. You don't have to debate everything. Just shut up and listen sometimes. Mm. And she's her main problem with me is that I always have something to say back. Mm. But at that point, I was just completely quiet. And I was like, fuck, man. This, she's, I don't give her enough credit. That's mm. the first thing that went through my head. I'm like, I do not give you enough credit. I treat you like you're not this woman who's gone through way worse than I have. Mm. Way worse. And has come on to the other side. And I'm like, it was th- it was a point of realization and, and me saying to myself, you are her product. So I am the product of her upbringing. I wouldn't be who I am today if she was if, if I wasn't brought up by her. It's like, it, it's just... It's her independence. It's her strength that I have. It's it's all of like I've always said to myself the creativity, the different way of thinking, the fun, the adventurous side I get from my dad. But the strength, the logical sense of looking at things, all of that is from her. Mm. Um, and it's that's why we got extremely close. But it was at this point, I was about 22, 23. I broke up with my boyfriend. Um, so we got extremely close, but bear in mind, we were still living together in a bedroom. Mm. So the challenge was then, how do I have my privacy in, Mm. again, my independence as a 20 year old, 20 something year old Mm. without it affecting our relationship. And I think the main problem was you just can't when you're living that in that sort of setting with your parent it's impossible to do that so it, it was it was very much um me rebelling again so every single time someone it feels like someone infringes upon my independence or my freedom or my privacy i just i pull back and i rebel and i hurt that person through my actions yeah. in a hope that they will just let me do what i need to do where does that come from um I think where did that come from because I don't think I'm like that anymore I think it was just um, self defense Mm -hmm. in a way Um, self defense and at the same time um, that kind of narcissistic way of thinking of you don't understand what I'm going through Mm -hmm. like you can't possibly imagine how hard this is for me Um, but specifically with my mom it was a break in communication Mm. so I just wasn't opening up to her I, w- I was saying you know uh, you don't it was little things like I would go out or I would not come home at night and I'd be like I can do whatever the fuck I want whenever the fuck I want to and she'd be like I know all I'm saying is let me know where you are and I'd be like why should I 
if I was living, it was hard after living alone in Singapore, living alone at university to come back and share a room with your mum mm. at 24, 25. It, it's it's impossible almost. Mm. Um, so it was it was very much a sense of just just let me be like I, I don't want to give you an explanation and she was just saying I'm not asking for an explanation I want to know you're safe but I just wasn't willing to compromise on that mm. because that little thing felt like I'm already sharing my private space with you I can't also share that I can't also give you that insight into my life some it's always been <coughs> a matter of I have to feel like I'm in control of one aspect if I feel like I have control of one aspect of my life, then the rest of it I can be okay with not being in control of. Mm. So I think, especially in the beginning, um, I was making training contract applications and I was getting rejected. That wasn't happening. I wasn't talking to Tikshi. I had I had the girl I do the woman I girl woman I do the blog with Priya. So Priya. I had a very close relationship <coughs> with her, but there was still all that baggage with Tikshi and all of them. Um, so everything else fell out of my control. I felt like a failure essentially, and I just I needed this aspect of my life, which was romantic or sexual relationships, mm-hmm. to have control over without anyone having a say about Interesting. it. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, the clock is ticking for that last train. Um, okay, family. We briefly spoke about you know conflicting values kids are kids in the picture kids not in the picture i was going to touch upon that but i want to skip over to feminism it's it's something that creates a lot of discussion uh i am a proud feminist um recently you asked me to watch a documentary netflix documentary highly recommend it called feminists what are they all thinking great great selection of feminists that they picked why do you uh, identify with feminism so strongly and what do you think can be done for men especially to identify as feminists um i'm gonna answer the second part first because i have i'm just gonna oversimplify it and then i'll go into it i think we have to stop making it feel like it's a special quality for a man to be a feminist. Exactly. It's just a way, it's just, why are we not all feminists? I don't understand. I can't, I cannot get my head around the stigma. I get the whole men hating misconception. I understand all of that, but I'm like, we've gotten to a point where we should know it's not about that. Mm. It's, it's essentially me saying we are equals. Mm. That is, it i'm not saying i'm better than you i'm not saying i deserve special treatment i'm just saying we're on a we're on a level ground we deserve to be treated yeah, equally. We, we deserve to have the same experiences and i can't understand why because you have a penis and i have a vagina our experiences should be different it's true that is it like it's, it's true i didn't choose to be a woman you didn't choose to be a man it's the mm. same thing with white privilege right why mm. why if it's something that i would i had no choice in why should I have a different experience Mm. Um, so um, was the first question why do I identify as a feminist yeah oh why do I I the funny thing is that I don't think I did until or at least I didn't say I'm a feminist until quite late yeah quite Mm. maybe 
early 20s. What is it about feminism that's so important to you? Um, you know, in the documentary you mentioned, yes. um, I think I said this to you, uh, Jane Fonda says at one point, I've only known for 10 years that no is a full sentence. Yes. That stuck with me. So it's this idea of choice. Mm. That is the most important thing about feminism when it comes to my personal experience. Mm. So it's the fact that people, when I, and I, I've had this conversation with the girls especially, when I moved here because I'm Caucasian, people assume that I have the freedom that is experienced by white British women yeah or that might be a misconception of the white british culture that you know you have a lot more freedom you get Mm. to do things that you want acquire in early age and you don't you're not restricted as such by culture i mean cultural restrictions Mm. right um and that's not the case um so in in terms of romanian culture there is still you still have that mentality of oh you have to get married you have to have children you have to you know your man comes first mm. um i get phone calls from my grandma and the very first thing she says is have you found a man it's, it's it's i'm not i'm not exaggerating and this is the grandma that's incredibly strong yes. and fiercely independent yes. and yes. where you got your feminist values from yes but the and cultural is, expectations yeah. still yeah. there and this is something i speak about in one of the posts and it's the fact that for her an independent lifestyle is a hard lifestyle mm. she always says if I had known how difficult it is to be on my own, I would have remarried. I would have been with a man. I wouldn't have had this independent lifestyle. Mm. She can't comprehend the fact that I don't want the, what she sees as an easy lifestyle, life with a man, mm. because not because I want to, because it's what I should do from mm. a cultural point of view, is what to me is the most difficult thing to, to just digest. Like I, I can't get my head around someone telling me, oh he's financially stable he'll be able to look after you therefore you should be with him literally kills my soul like i'm there like no because what if one day he leaves what do i do so you're telling me that i'm i should be with someone and i should get married to someone because they are able to look after me it's like but I, i understand where my grandma's coming from because to her it's it's a life of hardship it's great she, and she still says it she's always like look i'm not telling you to not be financially stable or be able to look after se- yourself but i'm just telling you having a man there for you know just affection or support or companionship makes point. life easier that is all she's i think she's just scared because she's been alone for most of her life she's seen my mom mm. have no man in her life so she's like I'm depending on your mom to be able to um, sort of bring some relief in terms of loneliness. Mm. I don't want you to go through an experience where your mom is just dependent on you to not feel lonely. And that has definitely been a problem with me and my mom mm. because I, I sometimes felt like you just rely on me to spend time with, to have experiences with, to be happy with. You need to go find your own people. It is quite stressful. Yeah, it's yeah. A pressure yeah. So I think for me, feminism is such an important important thing because it's it's not just the idea of independence. It's not just the idea of equality. It's the idea of having a choice. Mm. So I get 
the final say in what I do with my life. Everything it's it's it shouldn't be and it it's from the little things to the big things. So a huge thing in my um first long term relationship was um the way I dressed. So I think at that point I had to really think about would he like what I'm wearing? Would he approve of what I'm wearing? And something so small, you know, you wouldn't think it's a big thing, but it can really affect the way a person look looks at themselves, the way they think about themselves, and it can shape you for the rest of your life. It can affect your self-esteem. You can you can completely lose your um identity in a sense, right? So it's it's from small things like that to me saying no, I don't want children and not feel like I'm not fulfilling my purpose on this planet mm. <laughs> because just because I don't want children. And I always draw a distinction from people and I say the same thing I said to you on the tube on the way home. You know you want children if you can picture yourself being single for the rest of your life and still having children, whether it's through a surrogate, adoption, whichever other way. If the idea of children comes into play with a partner, you want a family. Right? And I think it's important to draw that distinction. Maybe you could have a family without a partner. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's the way you you define Depends family. Depends define family. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, it was you and your mum yeah. and your grandma yeah. and various other people oh. in your life and your dad wasn't around for a period of time but that was a family <coughs> it wasn't the yeah, nuclear yeah, yeah. family the nuclear on the cereal family, yeah. box yeah. it was a family i think for me personally yeah the idea of family and the definition of family is a very fluid one mm. so we don't even have to be blood related to be family mm. um and i've grown up with that mentality that you think she's family yeah. priya's family Amazing. priya's family's family it's it's not we don't have to be blood related for you to be my family mm. um and it's it's that whole idea of a tribe you know yes. it takes a whole damn village yes and it's very much it's more that support system from everyone in your life that i see as a family rather than because if i was to think of family in the traditional sense it'd be me and my mom my, my grandma that that yeah. would be it the three of us yeah um and it almost feel feels unrealistic to call that a family mm. because it's like it's just three women <laughs> but it is a family it is it absolutely. is a family it is a family but it's just this is why feminism matters right mm. because there's no man in that family and it's still a family mm. it, and it's like people i know it, it feels weird when i'm saying it but some people aren't okay with that mm. they're just not okay with women not needing a man mm. and it it the the struggle i have is i'm i'm over the whole meeting a guy and him saying feminist like things and being proud of himself i'm mm. like you shouldn't be proud <laughs> just mm. it should be normal it should it shouldn't be something that impresses me you shouldn't need a clap yeah, yeah i don't need to clap at that it's just it's yeah and what Mm. Like if, if I'm setting the standard that low, mm. then what? Well, it's like dating someone who's not racist. Good yeah, yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well done. <laughs> um, interestingly, I think you know there, there's some there's a feminism is really super interesting, especially if you study it from a kind of political angle, third wave feminism, yeah. radical feminism. But 
what's interesting is i think men need to reframe female empowerment and i feel there needs to be a broader discussion about codependence in relationships Um, maybe there needs to be a discussion about redefining norms um that is another podcast in itself and the thing is it's not just men like one of the things i said to you is that some of the most sexist people i've met in my life are women Mm. um and it's i find it that especially when it comes to relationships some women are like oh yeah i'm strong i'm independent i'm a feminist but they still haven't learned how to be okay with that and be in a relationship Mm. so a lot of us struggle and we don't realize it with the idea of I can be with someone without depending on them Mm. I don't have to depend on you I don't have to revolve my entire life around the relationship Mm. I can be my own person and be in a relationship with you damn that's the punchline okay I usually end and we will have a part two because I oh, I know God damn. I know other people saying where's my other part two <laughs> don't don't I don't don't hate because um, I know there's so much more we could have and should have and would have covered it, permitting time so I end with two questions I always end with these two questions I've stole them from other podcasts no shame the first question is if you could write anything on a billboard that would be seen by millions of people what would it be and why. I think it would be something along the lines of you are not immortal so why are you living like you are just taking things for granted um, living being unhappy and not doing anything about it so I feel like a lot of the time we underestimate ourselves and we live as if we're going to live forever Mm. and we don't the idea of anything could happen doesn't really sink in until you know that close person to you does die overnight and it's just having having had that happen a couple of times really puts things into perspective so it's one taking things life in general for granted taking people around you for granted not making the most of every single day and it sounds like a cliche and i'm not saying you know every minute of every single day you need to live you need to live like you're live like you're about to die Mm. but just be mindful of it we especially our generation we just carry on wasting so much time when we could be doing something we overthink Mm. we over plan we just we're sometimes stuck in a bubble probably mainly because of social media Mm. that we just stopped doing something there's a saying which is the antidote to despair is action and clarity comes through engagement not thought um final question final question on the pressure uh we might i might ask you again this question post editing but this question is called the three truths you're on your last day you've achieved everything you want to achieve you've got all the family around you and you know you're going to die on this day and for some reason, all the books that you've published, all the seminars you've given, all the, <laughs> all the whatever lofty ambitions that you've done, are, they're going to be erased. And all people have, all your family have, all future generations have 
to remember you by is this piece of paper and on this piece of paper you can only write three truths three things that you know to be true about life that you've learned so far perspectives or lessons so what are those three truths always always number one always yes number one always trust your instinct always it will never ever ever fail you um there hasn't been an instance in my life where my instinct's been wrong um secondly um oh this is a hard one I think Dixie said this as well, but family matters. Mm. No matter what you think, family matters. And I think build bridges, right? So even when you think it's never as bad as it seems, just build or at least try mm. to build bridges um, because ultimately family matters. Um, there was a point where I met up with my godmother and her new boyfriend, new partner. Mm. And he said to me, I was so angry at my dad. And he said to me, if it wasn't for him at the end of the day, you wouldn't be in this world. Mm. And it just brought perspective. And it was like, it was the, the point where I forgave him mm. for not being there for whatever reason. Mm. Um, and I was like, I, I accepted the fact that I, I can love him whilst not having a relationship with him. And it's okay for that to be the, the case. Mm. But it's just family matters. That would be the second thing. And the third truth, um, mm, I think that the third truth, oh, see, that it's going to contradict the second one, but it would have to be that you ultimately only have yourself. Mm. So no matter what happens, at the end of the day, it's just you can only count on you, truly. Is this an accountability point as well? Yes, 100%. So you can't, you have to be proud of yourself mm. whilst equally acknowledging where you've gone wrong and being prepared to truly be, I don't want to say be sorry for it, but be willing to make amends. So not just saying, I'm sorry forgive me but really take action to see where you've gone wrong yeah. so it's kind of the, the buck stops with you yeah you take responsibility. yes you take responsibility and likewise when shit goes down when everyone's left you you have you why are you worried like you have mm. you you're the one person that will always be in your corner and people underestimate that <sighs> damn 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 Pow look we've got to both sprint for the train but powerful powerful you're gonna have to listen to this a couple of times i know i'm gonna have to listen to this a couple of times even post editing thank you for listening if you're listening to this on apple Podcasts, please hit the five star rating button if you're enjoying it um as you know we're also available on soundcloud.com slash mohassan 92 you can contact me in a variety of ways. One of those being Instagram at Mohassan92 or Twitter 
at mohassan92. But there's also a Gmail account I've created called Let's Talk with Mohassan at gmail.com.